Hello and thank you so much for joining us again online for worship. We're continuing our series through the parables. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage for today. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And may God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able." And none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I, have, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amen. The word of the Lord. James Boyce called this one of the most disturbing passages in the Bible. It's disturbing because it is the only passage in the entire Bible that describes the actual thoughts, emotions, and words of somebody who is in hell. The thoughts, emotions, and words of somebody that is in hell. There are many passages in scripture that describe hell, many passages that warn us of it and warn us of damnation, but this is the only one where we hear from someone experiencing it. On top of that, this is a difficult parable because it is a parable of judgment. It's a parable of judgment. Yes, Jesus is speaking truth in love, but today we must receive that love as he warns us of judgment, specifically judgment regarding how we use our wealth to either care for others or neglect the poor, right? To either care for the poor or neglect them. Several years ago, a, um, a polling company asked Americans, what is the most urgent problem in American culture? What's the most urgent problem in American culture? And the number one answer was greed and materialism, greed and materialism. More recently, uh, The Economist magazine, they polled their readers and uh, they asked, what is the deadliest sin? Okay, so from the seven deadly sins that, uh, that we see in the Bible that our culture knows about, uh, what is the deadliest of the seven sins? Greed ranked number one. Greed ranked number one. Almost everyone believes that greed is a terrible problem, but few people believe that they are greedy. Few people recognize that they are greedy. Uh, BBC, 
they conducted a similar poll of, of, of their audience and they asked, which of the seven deadly sins have you committed? Which of the seven deadly sins are you guilty of? And of that list of seven, greed was number seven. It was the, at the bottom of the list amongst the responders. Almost everyone agrees that greed is bad. Almost everyone agrees uh, in the church and outside of the church that greed is a problem in our society and in our culture. But few of us believe that we are actually greedy, that we are the ones guilty of it. Over the years as a pastor, I've heard a lot of people uh, confess to me uh, their sins, their struggle with pride and anger, their struggles with pornography and lust, substance abuse and substance addiction, even same-sex attractions. I've had uh, yeah, pastoral counseling conversations uh, over these topics, but I've never heard anyone confess to me that they are greedy. Never have I heard anyone confess to me, say, Pastor Mike, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with greed. I'm guilty of greed. I've never heard it. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, wrote this. Even though it is clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it's true of them. Greed hides itself from the victim. Greed hides itself from the victim. And uh, there was a little anecdote that, that Tim described in a conversation with his wife, Kathy, as, as if we're friends. We're not friends. Uh, I like him, though, but he doesn't know who I am. Um, and uh, at his church at Redeemer, they were preaching a series on the seven deadly sins. And so it was all listed and mapped out, and everyone knew uh, which was coming next. And um, Kathy was just like, watch this. When you preach on greed, it's going to be the lowest attendance of the entire series. Lo and behold, that was true. That was the case. People did not want to even hear Tim Keller preach at Redeemer on the topic of greed. I think part of the reason why we are blind to greed, okay, how greed hides itself from the victim. Why are we blind to it? And uh, I think it's because it's so easy for us to think of people who are greedier than us, people who spend more than us, people who give less than us, people who love money, who idolize money and material wealth more than we do. So as soon as we think about greed as a sin, greed as a problem in our lives, we're like, yeah, but man, I know really greedy people. I mean, I mean my parents, my uncle, auntie, or like my neighbors, they are so greedy. So I feel less guilty about my own greed. But I hope that today, as we work through this parable, that our defenses would come down, that our defenses would come down, that we would not be so quick to justify ourselves, but rather allow Jesus to really speak into our lives, that we would allow Jesus to expose our hearts and allow him to ask us some very penetrating questions. I'm gonna follow the natural flow of the parable as Jesus teaches it, so first, we're going to look at the lives of, of these two main characters, the rich man and Lazarus. Then we're going to see what happens to them upon death. And finally, we're going to hear the rich man's cries from Hades, cries from the grave. And so in verse 19, Jesus describes this rich man. But he's no ordinary rich man. He is a truly wealthy man. Uh, Chris Rock, in, in one of his stand-up comedies, he joked that there's a distant, there's an important distinction between being rich and being wealthy. He said, Shaq is rich, 
but the person who writes Shaq's checks, he is wealthy, right? Shaq's checks, that is wealthy. Um, and so anyways, uh, but compared to all of us, Shaq is next level. Anyway, so um, the rich man, he was clothed in purple and fine linen every day. And the reason why purple is a color of royalty, okay, why purple was a color of royalty in the ancient world is because to dye garments purple and blue was a very costly process. It was a very costly, uh, extraordinary process. And so that's why royalty and the elite would wear purple. Linens described a man's undergarments. And so fine linens, okay, not ordinary, but fine linens were for the elite. And so to combine these two things, purple garments, purple robes and fine linens underneath, that is the sign of ultimate opulence. Okay, that's like the double flex of wealth. And to make this point even stronger, this rich man wore these clothes every day. Every day. Many of us have a couple of nice suits, a couple of nice dresses that we'll wear for special occasions, but not too many of us are wearing Gucci, Prada, Chanel, or for the younger people, Supreme collabs, you know, every day, all of the time, right? Our, 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 Our closets aren't full of those luxury items, and if they are, If you are so privileged to have closets full of those, uh, please post your old stuff on our Facebook give and take. Facebook give and take. And um, then all of the scavengers will come in and enjoy. I'm going to ask our production team to add a laugh track right there. Laugh track right there. Um, And so that's that's extraordinary for us, right? Uh, For this rich man to wear these opulent items every day, out in public, in ordinary occasions. He's always dressed in the finest garbs. This man also feasted every day, not just occasionally, but regularly. In the Jewish world, a rich family, a rich person could afford feasts, okay? Feasts on special occasions. If you think about the prodigal of the parable, uh, uh, parable of the prodigal son, The father, when he saw the younger son come back, he celebrated with a feast. He slayed the fattened calf. But the older brother said, you've never even given me a goat, right? So this family was wealthy, but the older brother never had a feast for him, for his sake on his birthday or his celebrations. But this rich man feasted every day. Only kings would do that. Only the elite could afford feasts on such a regular basis. Now, Jesus' point is not to reserve this parable for the elite, okay? This parable is not just for the ultra-rich. If we think that, then we're gonna say, Pastor Mike, I mean, already this has nothing to do with me, right? I am not in that upper echelon. I'm not a one percenter, right? Please don't think that. What Jesus is doing is he's creating an immense wealth gap, He's creating a chasm between the rich man and Lazarus for us to see. And that chasm exists not only on earth, but we're going to see after death that that chasm will continue to exist. It's just going to be inverted. Then Jesus describes Lazarus. Lazarus is poor. He's sick and he's vulnerable. He was a man covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. He wanted scraps. He wanted the rich man's leftovers. I'm going to share something that um, shows my own elitism. Um, I love sharing food with people. Okay, so if any of my friends, not strangers, but friends are like, hey, you want to share a sandwich? You want to share a pizza? I will absolutely do that, right? Um, 
but I hate leftovers that are not my own. So if somebody's like finished eating a sandwich and he's like, hey, Mike, I'm done with the sandwich. Do you want the rest? Out of my pride, I'm like, no. Like, I, I don't want to eat anybody's leftovers. And so uh, that's bad on me. I should be more humble and be grateful for food. But yeah, I, I don't want scraps from other people's table. But, but Lazarus was in such a place of destitution. He would have loved, he desired, he longed for the scraps from this rich man's table. Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate, which suggests that he may have been crippled. And it suggests that maybe his friends or people from the community laid him at that gate. They brought him there, hoping that Lazarus would be able to receive care, that he'd be able to receive benevolence or charity from this rich man. But that gift never came. And the image of dogs licking his sores, that is not a sentimental picture. They're not taking care of him. Dogs were not household pets in the ancient world. They were wild. They were dirty. They were scavengers, equivalent to how we might view raccoons, rats, or possums. And so if we're going to understand this today, we have to imagine a poor beggar, maybe in a subway, with rats licking his wounds, with rats licking his sores. That's the equivalent picture that Jesus is painting for his hearers. But despite Lazarus's destitution, Jesus gives us a very important insight into the heart of God. Okay, into the heart of God. The poor man has a name. The poor man has a name. The rich man doesn't. The subhuman character who has nothing in this world, who is desperate for the scraps from a, a, a rich man's table, he has a name. And Lazarus is a derivative of the Hebrew name Eleazar. Eleazar, which means the one God helps. This poor man is the one God helps. Though the rich man pays no attention to Lazarus, day after day passes by him with no care, no concern, no attention. The king of kings and the Lord of lords sees him. And he names him and he helps him. The rich man may have status in the world, but he is unnamed. And when it matters the most, the rich man is without help from God. One commentator suggests that Jesus actually leaves out a name, the name of the rich man, so that perhaps we should insert our own. Ouch, right? Ouch. Then both men die. Lazarus ascends to Abraham's bosom. This is the paradise that Jesus promised the thief on the cross. We understand it commonly as just dying and going to heaven. But Lazarus is escorted by angels into heaven. The rich man conversely ends up in Hades, a place of torment. We commonly understand this as hell. Let me make a couple of important observations here. First, Jesus' point, and please just make sure you understand this. Jesus' point is not to say that poor people go to heaven and rich people go to hell. That is not what Jesus is saying. It's certainly not what I am saying. Okay, that is not his teaching. Jesus is just describing the state of affairs for these two men. There will be rich and poor people in both heaven and in hell. We must not merely focus on earthly distinctions, 
but rather we need to see the spiritual ones. Obviously, what matters most in determining where we go after we die is our faith in the gospel. It is based on our trust, our dependence, our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not undermining his own gospel in this teaching. Now, second, I want to make another observation. Until the final judgment, right, and the new creation of the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus is actually teaching us what happens after we die. And what happens is we will all end up in an intermediate state, okay? So there's life here, and then there's life we're awaiting to live in the new heavens and the new earth, okay? Um, But in between that time, there's an intermediate state. It is a non-physical, spiritual realm that is described as either Hades or Abraham's bosom, right? Hell or heaven, okay? And in one place, there is joy, comfort, and peace. In another place, there is pain, torment, and sorrow. And so um, this is the intermediate state that Jesus is describing in this parable. So uh, So Lazarus is carried up to heaven by angels into the bosom of Abraham a place of comfort and blessedness, while the rich man finds himself suffering in Hades and he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Second Temple Jerusalem, uh, Judaism, okay, so Jewish theology uh, during a certain period of time, they believed that the blessed and the damned were able to view one another from their respective places. And that their views increased both the joy of one and the torment of the other. Just imagine that. We, we, We haven't thought about heaven and hell in those terms. But this is the experience Jesus is describing. Imagine this. Imagine being able to see heaven from the depths of hell. Imagine having to see that for eternity, that kind of torment. It is painful. And that is what the rich man saw. He saw Lazarus with Abraham. He saw Lazarus in comfort and in bliss. And when he did, he pleaded, Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to help me. Even if it's just a couple of drips of water from the tip of his finger, please, I am begging. And now we reach the climax of this parable. It's a conversation that takes place not between the rich man and Lazarus, but between the rich man and Abraham. And we're gonna see the answer to the question. Why is it that the rich man is in Hades? Why is it that the rich man went down to hell? Is it, if it's not because of wealth, okay, what is it? Abraham responds to the rich man, child. Remember that you in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Abraham's response is tender and affectionate. He says, child. That's a term of endearment. And he calls him to remember how he lived on earth, how he had good things, how he enjoyed his wealth all for himself. He lived an opulent life, but he did nothing for Lazarus who lived a life of suffering. And it's telling 
okay? It's telling that the rich man knew Lazarus's name, that he recognized Lazarus beside Abraham in heaven. And it's also telling that this rich man expected Lazarus to help him, to serve him, right? Though he had done nothing in his life for Lazarus, either with a drip of water to cool his tongue or to be a messenger to his family, members who were still on earth. But Abraham says, no. He says, no, it's too late. It's too late. A great chasm has been fixed between heaven and hell and no one can cross it. No one can cross it. So let me answer the question now. So why did the rich man end up in Hades? Why did he end up where he did? And the answer is, it's not because of his wickedness. It's not because of his wealth. It's because of his neglect. It's because of his neglect. The rich man did not do anything actively wrong against Lazarus. He didn't cripple him, right? He didn't wound him. He, didn't, uh, he wasn't the one who put Lazarus into poverty. There was no active evil that the rich man committed against Lazarus. But he was guilty. He was guilty because he did not do anything good for him. He passed by him every day at his own household gate. He knew his name. Okay? He even knew his name. Not as just some random, strange beggar and poor person in the city or in the community. He knew his name. He knew who he was. And he literally left him there for dead. In the Bible, this distinction is known uh, as the either sins of commission or the sins of omission. Sins of commission or sins of omission. Sins of commission are easy for us to identify. They're sins that we actively commit. Sins like stealing, lying, gossiping, murdering. Okay? We have actively committed these sins against God and against our neighbor. But the sins of omission, they are sins of neglect. They are sins of inactivity and sins that we often make excuses for. James describes uh, the sins of omission clearly in chapter 4, verse 17. This is what he says. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For him it is sin. Friends, um, as I have studied this passage and thought about it, I realized, um, though I have a long list of sins of commission in my life and in my past week, things that I have done against God and my neighbor, though I'm guilty of many things, many active sins in my life, the things that I have neglected, the things that I have known that I should do and fail to do, those sins, that guilt, that responsibility is greater. It's even greater. In Matthew 25, we have what is known as the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 and 25 cover the Olivet Discourse. And um, man, if... uh, If you're looking for a pick-me-up, if you're looking for a warm hug from Jesus, do not read the Olivet Discourse, okay? Um, Because it is a devastating teaching of judgment from Jesus. Jesus, in, in this discourse, in this teaching, in this sermon, he says things that we wish he wouldn't say. Have you ever come to a passage in the Bible where you're just like, God, I wish you didn't say that. Jesus, I wish you didn't teach that. 
we will find those types of words and phrases in the Olivet Discourse. And in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And Jesus knows people will ask, when Jesus, when did we do these things? When did we neglect you? When did we abandon you? When did we fail you? And what have we done to deserve this punishment, this eternal damnation? Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. (sighs) Friends, What do we do with these words of Jesus? I wish I could water them down for you, but I can't. I wish I could create a bunch of conditions and qualifiers around these verses so that the teaching would be less burdensome, more practical, more palatable for us. But I can't. I can't. Jesus has spoken clearly. And I believe we have to take Jesus at his word. And we're called to actively obey. We're called to do our best. We're called to steward with whatever we have as an expression of generosity, as an expression of compassion and love to the poor, to the sick, to the needy, Because as we do so, we understand that we are doing those things unto Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, in Luke chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is warning us of the same thing. Our sins of omission will lead us to damnation. Our sins of omission will lead us to damnation. He's telling us clearly, we are responsible to care for the poor. We are responsible as God's people, as ambassadors of Jesus' kingdom, we're responsible to care for the poor. And for us today, maybe we just start with the people at our gate, okay? at our gate, the people that we see, the people that we know, the poor in our community, the people that I pass by every day on the corners of Lake Avenue in Pasadena. Because if Jesus asks me on judgment day, because if Jesus asks me after I die, Michael, why didn't you do more for them? Why did you neglect the poor at your gate, the poor in your life and in your community? Didn't you know, Michael? Didn't you read? Didn't you preach on Matthew 25? Didn't you preach on the Olivet Discourse? Didn't you know that if you were going to care for the poor and as you cared for the poor, you're doing those unto me. 
How will I respond to Jesus asking me those questions? How am I going to respond to Jesus? Will I say, well, you know, the, the, the poor, they're there because they're uneducated. You know, the hungry, they're that way because they're unemployed and they refuse to work. They're sick because they don't take care of themselves. They're sick because their family and their friends don't take care of them. They're in prison because they deserve it. They're in prison because they committed crimes and and they deserve it and I just didn't think I had to care for them. Is that how I'm going to respond to Jesus? Is that how we are going to respond to Jesus? When he, not if, but when he asks us, why didn't you? Why didn't you care? Why didn't you help? Why didn't you serve? Why didn't you sacrifice? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we need to be very careful regarding how we respond to communities of poverty, communities of suffering, and communities of incarceration. We need to be very careful how we respond to these types of communities. Because if the imago Dei, if the image of God in each person is not enough to get you to care for them, to love them, to serve them and respond with compassion, if the doctrine of the Imago Dei in each human being is not enough, then maybe the direct presence and person of Jesus will. Okay? If you can't see that doctrine in creation as a compelling reason to care for others, may the person and presence of Jesus Christ compel you. Compel you. As you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. May those words echo in our hearts every time we see someone in need, every time we consider a community in need. As we do unto others, unto the least of these, you do unto me. Church, I, I, I don't have a plan to eradicate homelessness in LA. I don't. Um, I don't believe that that's... Uh, The mission of the church, our mission is to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. But we need to take Jesus at his word. We need to take Jesus at his word. We need to know that that Christ has called us to this type of service, this type of sacrifice, this type of stewardship of our resources for the sake of others. And today he is warning us, do not neglect the poor. Do not neglect the suffering. Care for them, because in doing so, you're caring for me. Our parable closes with the plea, uh, a final plea from the rich man to send warning to his five brothers. He's like, fine, fine. If Lazarus can't come and give me a a couple drips of water, if that chasm is too deep, if, if it's too great between heaven and hell, at least send Lazarus to go from heaven to earth to send Lazarus as a messenger to my father's house because I have five brothers. I have a family that needs to know this truth and this reality. And he asks, please send Lazarus as a messenger. And he says, if somebody comes from the dead, right, they will surely repent. 
They will surely repent. But Abraham says, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay? They have Moses. They have the prophets. If the word of God isn't enough, okay? if the word of God isn't enough to lead them to repentance and lead them unto right living as people of God, nothing else will convince them. I think that is such a powerful word for us. If Matthew 25, if Luke 16 isn't enough for you and I, what else do we have? What, what excuse could we, what else would God do to convince us to repent of our sins? To love Jesus as we love others in this world. Brothers and sisters, this final dialogue, it shows us what our first response must be towards greed and the sins of omission in our life. It's repentance. It's repentance. It is a call for us to do more than just identify the wrong things that we have done, identify our active sins. We need to acknowledge our passive sins. We need to acknowledge all of the good we have failed to do for others. May we not be like the rich man who died in his sins. Rather, May we confess our sins. May we repent. May we turn. May we remember this great and important just statement for us as it captures the heart of the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, brothers and sisters, those who fail to repent, they will enter into eternal punishment. But Jesus promises that the righteous will inherit eternal life. When you and I trust in the person and work of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, his righteousness becomes ours. His life becomes ours. His wealth, his riches, his power, his glory, those promises that he extends to all of his people, that is ours by grace through faith. We are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And if you have experienced this kind of generosity from our king, this kind of generosity and grace from our savior, then surely we can extend it to our neighbors. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these timely words for us. We see in our country a disparity of wealth, a disparity of privilege that, um, that is unprecedented. And Father, I pray that during these times, the church would truly be set apart that the church would, would shine and be beautiful and winsome as we practice a radical obedience to Jesus and a radical sacrifice and, and service to the communities that are suffering, to communities that are impoverished, the communities that are destitute in our country today. I pray that we would do so not to earn favor with you, 
not to think that these acts will earn us a place in heaven, but because we are already your sons and daughters, because we are already citizens of your kingdom, may these acts of beautiful and sacrificial service be a testimony to who you are, Lord Jesus, and the kind of kingdom you promise to everyone who believes in you. I pray for all of my brothers and sisters uh, here at All Nations. May we genuinely wrestle with these words, this passage, these truths in our hearts. And Father, uh, as as we wrestle over our sin, as we grieve over our sin, may we repent, may we turn, may we place faith in you, and may that faith bear fruit. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.